Good morning everyone and it's great to join with you for another Sunday as part of your online service in Gilmahart Baptist Church. I'm going to read from Psalm 24. I would love you to follow along with me as I do. So get your Bibles open, turn it, turn it to Psalm 24 and this is God's Word. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. Amen. If you were to rush up to a family member that you haven't seen for a while and throw your arms around them and give them a huge hug, that would probably probably be a fairly normal and expected and natural response for most of us. But try doing that to a fellow commuter on the bus or the train in the next week and you might get a fairly different response, especially right now. Calling a friend, mate, buddy or bestie is normally appropriate, but addressing your boss with those terms would be considered pretty strange. This was a harsh lesson, lesson that I learned as a 14-year-old when I decided to call my form teacher by his first name as a pretty poor attempt to help him see the funny side of my misdemeanours, not to be recommended. But often this type of status that someone has determines how we address them or, or the relationship we have with someone will influence how we greet them or how we speak to them. A few years ago my dad received an MBE from the Queen and he was given a protocol before he entered the room about what he should and what he shouldn't do. He was to let her speak first. He was to address her with the title ma'am and he shouldn't try to initiate any handshake with her until she moved towards him. That day he responded with reverence and respect and a fair degree of nervousness. But it would be weird if he acted in his home in the same way towards his wife or his children. Some of our interactions in the world will require respect and reverence and maybe even fear. Other relationships involve intimacy or familiarity or friendship. But it's rare that those two things, those two opposites in some way, are mixed together. And yet these two opposite approaches to God are perfectly captured in the words of Psalm 24. Someone once described knowing God as mixing friendship with fear. And this resonates with me because it captures the balance between approaching an all-powerful and awe-inspiring and utterly holy God with reverence and fear while also knowing that he welcomes us close as beloved children and familiar friends. On one hand, 
This psalm builds an incredible picture of a powerful and mighty God. One who owns the entire world and created the seas. One who is a glorious king and mighty in battle. One who rules with authority and reigns on high. And I need this reminder that God is not a slightly bigger version of us, but some, someone who is totally beyond my comprehension. His power reminds me of my weakness. His perfection emphasizes my failures. The writer of this psalm questions if anyone can climb the mountain of God to stand with him in his holy place. It's a fairly obvious or expected question. After the opening few sentences, there might be an assumption that the answer is no one. Surely there's no way that someone like you or I could be allowed in the presence of a God like this. And yet we are told that there is a chance, however, this access will be given only to those who have clean hands and a pure heart. Only they can be allowed to approach this God. And so while it might seem like an opportunity, having clean hands and a pure heart is actually an incredibly high bar to reach. It's high enough to be impossible. Even though we might strive for it, purity and cleanliness before God can't be achieved by ourselves. No amount of strong willpower or wise choices will keep our hands clean and our heart pure. And so we need help. And this psalm reminds us that if it wasn't for Jesus being able to make our hands clean and our hearts pure, we would have no chance of approaching God, having access to him or standing in his holy place. But because of his sacrifice, we can boldly approach his throne and lift up our heads in his presence. Our hearts can be cleansed and our hearts can be purified through the sacrifice of Jesus. He is the one who can move us from fearfulness to friendship, from distance to proximity, from being unreachable to becoming accessible. So one of the most incredible and overarching pictures in this psalm is the need to approach God with both friendship and fear. I wonder which you are most naturally tended towards. Perhaps you have more naturally focused on approaching God with fear. I know that was my dominant picture of God in my childhood. I can vividly remember visiting my grandparents' house on a Sunday afternoon and being left in no uncertain terms that the playing of ball games was strictly permitted on the Sabbath. In fact, I can still remember the concern on my grandfather's face when I produced a tennis ball from my pocket in the hallway. Maybe it was his concern for a Sabbath observance or perhaps he was just worried about his ornaments. But I was taught to fear God and warned that God shouldn't be mocked. And I was told about hell and I had stories like Abraham and his son Isaac engraved in my mind. None of it was wrong or false. It was all true. But the picture of God I built up in my head was one-sided. When the dominant picture we have of God is one of anger, wrath and judgment, it can be difficult for us to embrace his friendship or enjoy his company. Perhaps response to sin in our lives would be to shy away from coming to God because we experience shame or feel his disappointment. If you have focused on fearing God, don't overlook 
the welcoming embrace of a loving God. See the picture of the father welcoming the prodigal. Read the accounts of Jesus reclining at the table with his friends in Bethany or eating breakfast on the, on the beach with disciples who had failed him. As one modern worship song reminds us, I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. But while there might be a dominant picture of fear for some of us, for others it might be that we have overlooked or we have focused so much on God's friendship that we have taken for granted or overlooked his power, his purity and lost sight of his holiness. I wonder if that's a particular danger maybe in this generation or the coming generation as perhaps we try to get away from a dominant narrative of wrath and judgment that might have been prevalent in our nation in previous generations. But we need to be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater and create a distorted picture of God based more not really on his likeness but based more on our own perceptions or even our own preferences. God is awesome. He is holy and there's no one else like him. No one goes to the Grand Canyon and talks about their own achievements. And in the same way, we are so small and so weak and so helpless in comparison to him. This psalm helps us and reminds us of that. Who is this king of glory, the psalmist asks? Because there is no one else like him. Lift up your heads, he declares, and see God in his power and might. Who may stand in his holy place, we are asked. And the answer is only those whose hearts have been cleansed who can now be called friends of God. Don't let over-familiarity breed contempt. While enjoying his friendship, we need to still be reminded of his awe and his power. We approach God and live our lives with that mix of friendship and fear. But while that phrase can be given as a bit of an overview of Psalm 24, I also this morning want to hone in on a couple of specific verses in the passage too. Do you remember how the psalm started? Look with me to verse 1. Because in it we hear the declaration that the whole earth belongs to God. Everything in it and everyone in it. We are all made in the image of God. Everyone we meet and encounter is a divine image bearer and that should affect how we treat them. Everything in this world belongs to God. It's his. And I love the quote from Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper who said that there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ who is sovereign over all does not cry mine. Let me read that again. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. The earth belongs to the Lord and everything in it. There's not a square inch that he doesn't want to claim as his. And so your work, God cries mine. Your choices, God cries mine. Your friendships and your family, God cries mine. Your finances, God cries mine. They belong to God and have come from God anyway. 
But God cries mine over our dreams and desires. He cries mine over our struggles and our sins. And nowhere is this better displayed than on the cross. Some years ago, I came across this helpful graphic that I think captures this idea. This first image is perhaps how many of us have viewed the church for years. Perhaps we feel pushed back into the corner of a world increasingly disinterested in God. We're hunkering down, desperately trying to shine our light and hold on to who we are in the midst of a world that's full of grey. We try to draw others to us, even though we feel few in number. That's not a wrong way to view the church, but there's another way. Because this second image is another way of seeing the church. The same number of red dots as in the first image, but this time scattered among the grey. Individuals in all sorts of different walks of life among people. In the midst of workplaces, sports clubs and neighbourhoods. Meeting people in the shops or on the bus or at the school gate. And all of these people and all of these places belong to God and they matter to him. And so if that's the case, then how might that change or shape how we think about them and how we relate to them and how we live whenever we're in those places? I think one of the interesting byproducts of virtual church during lockdown was the increased visibility of seeing what other churches were doing. I'm friends with lots of different church leaders and my Facebook feed was filled with all these amazing things that other churches were doing. And I wonder if we could easily have got into the comparison game. I wonder if you were ever concerned that your church wasn't doing enough. I wonder if you perhaps wondered if the church should be doing more. More services or more prayer meetings or more online alpha courses or feeding more people. I mean, what did we do? What did you do as a church? But then we get a renewed appreciation that our church was serving on the front lines as some of our members cared for the sick through their work in the NHS. And didn't some teachers from your church teach children in situations that were suddenly very different and demanding? And didn't we connect with our neighbours in new ways? And didn't people who put themselves at risk to collect our rubbish, rubbish feel esteemed for their key work? We had people who were doing stuff that they had always been doing. But here's the difference. This time we noticed. And this time we prayed for them. Maybe we should do that going forward. Because if I was to ask you where your church was, where's Gilnerhurt Baptist? I wonder what or how you might answer you see, your answer might describe where your church gathers normally on Sundays. But where will your church be tomorrow? Where is it today? Perhaps tomorrow your church might be in offices and shops, homes and coffee shops, sports teams and neighbourhoods. This earth belongs to the Lord and everything in it. And so your church might be walking beside a confused teenager or teaching a lonely child. Your church might be helping to feed a homeless person or caring for a broken woman. Suddenly mission begins to be seen as a little bit more possible. 
as we become less concerned that the people aren't coming to us in the same numbers, but we might become awakened to the possibility of reaching people where they are. And perhaps our discipleship takes on a different dimension as we begin thinking about the very real situations and circumstances in our lives on a daily basis, seeking to discover what does God's word have to say to me for how I go about my work, use my leisure time, or live in my neighborhood. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And so as you begin to gather or prepare to gather again as a church soon, please do celebrate and embrace that. But don't miss the need to continue to live as scattered disciples too. As little red dots scattered all across your community, call to live like salt and be like light wherever you find yourselves. In this time, I think we have learned that church isn't just about a building. We've been reminded that it's not even a gathering, but that this whole earth belongs to God and everything in it and God's people are called to take their place within it. There is no square inch of your life that God does not have an interest in and he does not want to declare as his. So have you given? Have you given every area and department of your life over to him? And if not, how can you seek to do that in the days that lie ahead? Finally, look with me to verse 6. Because this is the description of those who understand this principle and live out this practice. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. You see, God has always been looking for a people to call his own. He has always been looking for a people who will seek him. He has always been looking for a people set apart from those around them. He has always been looking for a people to bear his light to the world. And so will you be that people? Will you be part of that generation who seeks God in these days? Who seeks his face? Not just his hands and what he can do for us, but who seeks his face because of who he is. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Amen. And may the Lord bless you and keep you.